Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, The Love and Dating Gurus with Dr. Dan and Industry Experts. I'm very excited about this show as it will bring new insight to our many listeners about the dating challenges of the 21st century and the do's and don'ts when seeking your soulmate. Everything you need or want to learn about the how-tos of dating and relationship will be discussed here. How to avoid being put into friend zone after the first date, being catfish, calm, or getting scammed, and so much more will be covered on this podcast. Toxic relationship can cause strife, breakup, or divorces. Infidelity, trust issues, trouble finances can contribute to these challenges. Guests appearing on our show are expert in this industry, sharing their insight about what you can encounter at any stage of dating, getting into relationship, and whatever else comes next. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in relationship, marriage counseling using the EFT method, and post-divorce strategies when transitioning back into a civil life. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our official website is metalifecoach.online. Today, I'm very excited to have for our ninth episode of season three, a very special guest and relationship expert, Jackie Pugh. And just like my previous episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Jackie, the floor is yours. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm Jackie Pugh, Freedom and Fulfillment Coach, Master Practitioner of Neuro Linguistic Programming. I do sound healing. I do, I, there's too many things to list here. And I absolutely love, love, love helping people become the very, very best versions of themselves. And I usually work with people who have gone through a breakup, are going through a breakup, who've been single for a really long time and are feeling really alone, stuck, not knowing what to do next, not feeling fulfilled inside. And we really tackle what where, where, where that stems from, right? A lot of times I'll see people are like, I'll have clients come to me on depression medication. I'm like, why are you on depression medication? And I'll hear their story. And I'm like, so does your, does your psychiatrist know, do they know that you just went through a breakup? And they're like, yes. And so they told me the best thing I could do is be on this depression medication so I can get out of bed. And I was like, okay, we need to look at the root cause of why this is here. There's nothing wrong with depression medication if you need it, right? But when we're just doing it to cover things up with the Band-Aid, that's, that's a different thing. So I help people figure out the root cause of the unfulfillment of their unhealthy relationship dynamics. And we start to rewire their brain and ultimately they end up free and fulfilled. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being at the podcast, uh, Jackie. I appreciate your time here. Now, um, I'm sure that we, the, all of our listeners and yourself have heard about the post-traumatic stress disorders, but then we also have post-traumatic relationship syndrome. Now, when it comes to people having to deal with traumatic issues, what are, I mean, we, we all understand that they're very cautious before uh, getting to a new relationship. So what are the signs that they have to be careful about, but also not be too nitpicky? So something that um, I I think that obviously there's going to be different signs for everybody, but I I think a really great way to go about dating when you're starting to get back out there is to work with somebody, work on your past past traumas, because you don't want to have like a little backpack, right, of all your energy that you haven't uh, released, all of your limiting beliefs that you haven't worked through and bring them into a new relationship, because you'll be, you'll be the red flag. (laughs) You're going to be the the flagging red flag. (laughs) I would first suggest uh, working on yourself. But one thing that I love to have my clients do is to get clear on what their standards are. 
get super, super clear. And so what we do is we make two lists. We make a, a non-negotiable list. They're must-haves, which a lot of people call deal breakers. I like to keep it in the positive. So our brain is looking for the things that we want versus what we don't want. And then a list of would like to haves because nobody's going to be perfect, but these are kind of the bonuses. So when you do go out into the dating world, you know what your non-negotiables are. You know what your must-haves are. You're not like, oh, the stranger is super cute and they check off this box and this box and this box. And I don't want to be with a smoker, but like, maybe they'll do it around me or (laughs) maybe they'll quit or fill in the blank. And then six months down the road, they're still smoking. There's resentment towards them because they haven't quit and they resent you because you want them to. But when we're clear on what our standards are, we get less swayed to make excuses for things that are actually not aligned with us. So my very first step would be to create to create that standard. And one of the best pieces of advice one of my coaches gave me is when you date, enjoy and observe. Okay. Enjoy and observe. Like so many times we, we, we get really excited, especially if someone's an anxious attachment style, right? We get really excited when we meet somebody. Even avoidance will come on really strong in the beginning. And if we have intimacy right away in, in the beginning, oxytocin gets released. And, you know, we, we don't see any of the red flags. We, we're just focused on this connection and maintaining this connection with this person. So I would, um, I would advise to enjoy and observe. Hold out on intimacy for a while see like, okay, this person brought me flowers or this girl did X, Y, and Z. This is awesome. And I'm going to see if this is the continual pattern three months from now, six months from now, before I allow myself to really get attached. So do you feel that because a date is basically an interview, not for a job, but for uh, finding a mate. So do you feel that um, people, instead of like focusing too much on asking questions that we all know people lie, so they could make the other one believe that this is the truth when it's completely not. As you said, if I say you meet someone that is a smoker, you cannot assume that because they're with you, they're going to change and becoming healthier. So if, if all of this is a lie during the courting period, when are they able to ever find the truth? I think, I mean, if you have, if you have an answer to that, Dr. Dan, I am totally open. I think it's different for everybody because um, unfortunately, sometimes you do have those extreme narcissistic types and, and sociopathic types where sometimes you don't know until you get married. Sometimes that's when true colors come out, you know, Um, and you get to still believe somebody when they show you who you are. Um, I think that it's really easy to get wrapped up in that. But I I do think that when you're first starting out dating, uh, a, a little tip that you can do is ask somebody what they're looking for first. Like if you have certain questions that you wanna know, ask them their answers first so that they're not trying to mirror what you say and just say what, like say they're not saying what they think you want to hear in order to have a certain outcome with you. Ask them first. <laughs> it's like in, in NLP, matching and mirroring or cross-matching, same thing. So I guess people, instead of using their sensory acuity, they should at least observe, as you mentioned something uh, like earlier, they should be attuned to what the other person say. I mean, it could be auditory, it could be visual, it could be kinesthetic, whatever it is. And people have to at least learn to be more, uh, especially if they have gone through trauma, they have to be extremely careful to what the words, especially if it's a repeated offense or what they've heard in the past, or if it's a narcissistic personality disorder, they, they should be at least aware that, oh, these are the red flags. 
These are mm -hmm. things that I've experienced before in the past and I've got to be extra careful. But then again, yeah. everyone is nervous in the first date or the second date. So maybe their true personality is not coming out just because they want to be at their best behavior. So again, are they acting or are they real? And I think most people, unfortunately, I, I think most people act, right? We all put on our Sunday best when we're going on our first date. We're all in our Sunday best, and you know, on even a month, three months in. And that, that's why it's really important to observe the behavior as you get past that three month and that six month mark. Because, and maybe, maybe acting is not necessarily like the best word to say for, for most people, but it definitely is most people are showing you the brighter side of them, right? We all have, have we're all multifaceted and it's the brighter side of them that you are seeing. And if you are somebody coming from a traumatic relationship, another thing that I have all my clients do is to actually do a relationship inventory and write down what those red flags were that you were missing or ignoring, or maybe you didn't even realize that they were there. And after the relationship, when you look back and you notice the love bombing or, or whatever was going on, now I have an idea of what these things look like and what I'm usually attracted to. And now I can be aware of that next time I go into a relationship. So is it like what they should do? Like you, you mentioned about the red flags. So should they do like a column of red flags and green flags and figure out if there's a balance between both? Like they should have more green than red and then they should be, this is a good relationship to move forward with. Or is it the, the magnitude of what's red and what's green? Because one red flag can supersede everything that is green. And then this person may not be the right fit, even though you have a list of green flags that are, okay, he's good, he's this, he's this, but oh, that red one, that, that, that destroys all the thousand green that he has. That, that's, that's, how, that's how I view it. That's how I have my clients view it. Um, I, I literally have my clients will take their standards and they'll swipe on the dating apps and now 50% of them have finally found beautiful, lined, aligned, reciprocal, loving relationships by being super clear on their standards. So if, if it is a situation where there are all these green flags in the pro side and on the con side, maybe there is only one, one con, but it's that you can't trust them or they've already cheated or they're inconsistent. That's probably a really big red flag that outweighs all of the good things because of, of a relationship cannot be built on that. No, no, that's impossible. Uh, like, especially when it comes to marriage. So if they're cheating, so do, do you feel, do you believe that once a cheater, always a cheater, or do people learn their lessons? I used to say once a cheater, always a cheater. That, that used to be my thing before I worked on myself. Okay. And I, I think that as long as someone chooses to look at why they did it and then get help okay. on, on how to overcome those things and choose to rewire their brain, I absolutely think that they can be different and make different choices in the future. What do you think? You know, it's, it's, I, I've studied that topic because there is like, especially if in the brain there's someone that um, have been raised in an environment where the father has been doing this to his mom and the mother is staying with the husband or the father because of either financial reason, whatever it is. So the kids are aware of what's going on and they see that this type of behavior is acceptable in their family. So they feel mm -hmm. that they will take this and say, well, if dad did it and they were still married for 30 years, then that means that every woman that I'm going to meet are going to be as flexible as mom. So 
but then they come to reality where when that happens, they break up and the woman will never see him again. So it depends again on the type of the personality of the other person that you're with. Are they an empath or they're going to come up with saying, oh, you know, maybe he's going through some some issues right now. I should be more flexible kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That That's a huge one, too. I I even went out with somebody uh, years ago and we finally had like one little serious talk okay. one night. Okay, we're like three months in. And he had told me how he cheated on his girlfriend in high school. But I was like, okay, it's high school. But then he went on to say, <laughs> but I never, I didn't ask him. He's like, I never learned my lesson because she took me back. Oh. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, you just like, you literally just shared with me that you have not learned your lesson and that like you literally think that you could do that in somebody else. Like he almost wanted her to not take him back because he came from a broken home as well. So like he almost wanted her to not take him back so he could show himself that that's not how it should be. Um, but he, he chose not to learn from it. And, and I also got to say, okay, this person, as much as I like him, as cute as he is, he's showing me right now how he is. Yes, absolutely. So um, obviously these are some deal breakers for the majority of women out there when it comes to a cheater and all. Um, But if someone is actually, you know, coming to realization that their mistakes have been hurting a lot of people in the past and they, they want to change, do you feel that people should be the, not the, the guinea pig to be the next one to probably say, no, with me, they will not cheat. I will give them a chance or everyone should say, you know what, this is danger. Stay away from him. I would, I I like, you know, do you see like the, um, (laughs) the little memes that go around on Instagram about like, uh, it's no longer about, you know, what spot are you going to take me to dinner? I want to see your therapist bill. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. The girls, I have a spot that I'm going to drop you off and it's the therapist office. So I think if someone is in therapy and they're actively working on it, like because I, 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 I work with a lot of men, a lot of women, and there are the people who will actually admit their wrongdoings, as you were mentioning, and they're very reflective. And you're like, wow, this person is so self-aware, you know, that they, obviously they changed, but then you find out that they have never actually taken action on it. And they repeat the patterns. Like they choose not to do something about it. They're aware of it, but they're not actually getting help to change that behavior. And so I think that if you meet somebody like that, enjoy and observe. And, you know, you can bring up how you go to therapy. And have you ever been to therapy? And start noticing like that. Because I, I personally, and I don't know what you think, Dr. Tam, but personally, I don't think when something is that deep rooted, in somebody, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't think that most people are actually going to change. I think they genuinely need help and they need to get to the root cause from when they were a child or whatever that is and truly work through that versus just being like, I want to change. It's a pattern in our brain. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, well, you know, I studied the narcissistic personality disorders and um, those are more apt because they, they feel that they are entitled of mm-hmm. their power, they're entitled of what they've accomplished in their lives, so they, they can go and cheat on whoever they want. But there is a chemical imbalance in narcissistic people, and it's a hormone called vasopressin that is not produced as much as other normal people. And the vaso, the lack of vasopressin doesn't show much of empathy 
towards other people, their feelings. So that in itself causes them to act or to behave the way they do. So should we blame them because it is their fault, a conscious effort to wanting to cheat? Or, hey, it's an illness like bipolar, borderline, uh, and whatever else there is out there. So it, it's hard to really kind of figure out if it's done consciously, subconsciously, or they know that they have an issue, they want to work on it, but they, can, they cannot make the change because it's something that is like a chemical imbalance. So, and I'm not sure if there's any pills that they can take to balance out the vasopressin. So again, that's all about what, can, what help can we offer? And even with therapists, I come across people that even though they've been with me for eight, 10 months, a year, they, they show that they want to make a change. Their spouses see that they're trying to make it, but they always revert back to their original uh, behavior. Yeah. So there's yeah. not really any change that, that occur, even though but it's like maintenance, so to speak. It's like um, anger management, for example, that I give the courses for, you cannot cure anger. You could manage it. So may, maybe you could manage people not cheating. Maybe this is a part of their DNA. It's a part of their, their that means it's deep rooted and it's very, very hard to just say, okay, well, take this pill and you'll be cured. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. So again, there's a lot of studies that are trying, even psychiatrists are trying to figure out, can a pill be, be given to narcissistic people to be able to act a little bit normally? Well, and it's my understanding, and it sounds like you've done a lot of research on this, aren't, aren't many people that are higher up on the narcissistic spectrum not diagnosed because they usually feel more entitled and like nothing's wrong with them and they're able to do X, Y, and Z that they don't actually seek help? Um, th that's actually, I mean, there's two types of spectrum, which is the covered and the vulnerable narcissism. Um, now, obviously, the covered is the extreme one where, you know, they... They have no empathy, no feeling for anyone. They are because of their status at work, their status, the status at the, you know, either a CEO and most CEOs will suffer from narcissistic uh, uh, disorder, not necessarily only covered, but they go to that extent. Um, again, it, it's it's very hard to really know exactly how and why this behavior came along because I know a lot of CEOs they're very humble, Jackie. Okay, they're very good with their staff. They're very attentive to what's going on in their management, uh, you know, levels, etc. So they will not put themselves on a pedestal. But yet others will do the complete opposite. Even if they have just a, a management position, not a CEO, not a head or executive, they will act like they are. Mm -hmm. So that is because maybe they lack power in other area of their lives, which is either in their marriage, in their relationship, they feel that their spouse is taking over the household, they're controlling them or whatever it is. Maybe a they have a spouse that is also narcissistic. So they're always heading, but you know, the butt heading. And in their mind, they say, well, if I cannot have control at home, I need to find control else in my life. And that's the way, the reason why they behave the way they do in the workplace. No, but again, this is like a very, very broad subject that is very like continuing learning and figuring out exactly how you can help them. Because chances are a lot of therapists, they do not take narcissistic people because it's very, very hard to be able to figure out how the narcissistic person is going to try to manipulate 
the therapist to make them believe that they're right because they're gaslighting them as well. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a reaction that never ends. I think that's the thing. If you are in a relationship with somebody and you are wondering like, oh, is it is it a chemical thing? Should I be blaming them? I think at the end of the day, it's still your life. And not like, we don't have to blame somebody and say that they're a horrible person or anything. If, if that is, you know, if they are ill, if they are mentally ill and we get to hold up our standards and look at them and ask ourselves, is it aligned with me to be in a relationship with somebody who cheats on me when I desire to be with somebody who's, when I'm going to be loyal to my partner, when I don't want to have to worry about STDs, when I don't want to have to have this anxiety, is this aligned with me? And ultimately at the end of the day, you get to choose you. You get to love you enough to walk away from something that doesn't bring you peace and only brings you anxiety. That is so true. And uh, and in your in your program, because I'm a little bit curious and I'm sure that the listeners would like to hear about that. Um, how do you let the singles know that, okay, well, you went through traumatic experience in the past but it's time to let go. It's time to not drag the past into the present because you might, you might lose on something that is very special just because of what you've experienced with someone else that was toxic in their behavior. So is there a way to train them to let go of those feelings and then start new or are they too conscious to get hurt again? Oh no, all of my clients are ready to get out there. <laughs> By the end of it, they're all ready to get out there. But it is a deep, intense, but fun, because clearly I like to keep things like, it's like serious stuff we're talking about, but I like to have fun doing it. So we have a lot of fun doing it, um, but it's really, really deep work. And we really get in there and we spend four months, like that is basically their other job. That is all that we are focused on is rewiring their brain, working on those past traumas, Um, doing emotional detoxing in their bodies, allowing their bodies to feel safe again, refinding themselves and creating um, new beliefs. So we figure out what those beliefs are and through neuro-linguistic programming, it will actually help them change their memories and then have a tool, literally have a tool that when it pops up, I'm not good enough or every man is a cheater or every woman does X, Y, and Z. They literally have a tool to nip it in the butt and start to rewire their brain. Because they say it takes about, about, I've read so many different places, somewhere between 350 to 1,000 times of doing something mentally differently in order for our brain to recognize, oh, it's, it's safe to do it this way now. It's safe to think this way now. And so we spend four months doing, and, and it might sound like really overwhelming for people listening, like 350 times to 1,000 times, but you guys, like, it does not matter where you live in the world, I have found we all pretty much have the same exact limiting beliefs. We all have the same types of issues. And most people think I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. We, we all have very similar limiting beliefs. And when we're able to go in there and rewire it, our world opens up. But if you pay attention to how often those things go through your mind, especially if you're somebody in a traumatic state, probably at least 35 times a day. Like when I did this, when I first got from my coach, I'm like, I... I'm a recovering anxious attachment style. So I was crying because I was catching it all the time. And I'm like, this takes over everything. And then I realized, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my little self. Like, here we go again. And I was able to catch the behavior. So in 10 days, literally in 10 days, I'm already hitting 350 times of thinking a certain thought in my head. So you can actually get there quickly 
as long as you're disciplined with it. It takes around 40 to 55 days to either break an old habit or acquire a new one. So, don't, I mean, but then again, it's how much work you put into it. Because like, do you think that someone after 45 days can stop smoking, can stop drinking, can stop using drugs? Is it, I mean, is it feasible uh, physiologically or do they need to be able to, because the withdrawal will take like at least seven days before it takes, it flushes out your body. So those in terms of those seeking love and all, um, changing their mindset, changing their internal representation, their beliefs, et cetera. Um, it's, if no one is there to be able to reiterate the positive out of them, how can they allow them to understand and believe positive, positivity from within? Because no one is there to be able to kind of repeat it to them or tell them, yes, you're right, you're good, you're this and that. People always have the tendency to say, like, for example, those who want to lose weight, they said, I don't want to be fat. This is the wrong way to go. I want to be healthier because the brain only records the, instead of like, I don't want, is that I want to be fat. And this is how the brain actually operate. So is there a, a, a new mechanism and strategy that you use to be able to help them not use the wrong words in the linguistic part of NLP and change their mindset? Mm -hmm. So two things. Um, one, when I work with my clients, I mean, it, it's not a, a, a cheap program. I'm not going to lie, but I wouldn't be serving my clients if it was free. Like, <laughs> because when it's free, you're like, I don't want to do this today. Like, it's not like it's a super fun work. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so there is an investment, but with that investment, whether it's like directly to me or I do it in a closed Facebook group to have um, continual support, they don't have to wait a week or two weeks or a month to talk to their therapist. As soon as something comes up, they have that group where if I'm not available, somebody else in the group is available that's going through it with them. So they're not alone to talk them through it and, and get them off of that ledge. So they don't go down that spiral. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I'm huge on language and things like um, even just a little thing like I have to go to the gym today. Or I should go to the gym today. I need to go to the gym today. Those things don't feel good, right? We don't want to do it when it sounds like that. Of course. But <laughs> when we change one word to I get to go to the gym today, all of a sudden it's like, it reminds you like, wow, some people don't have legs. Like yes. some people don't have that. Like I actually, I get to go do this for my body today. So just looking like little tiny tweaks, get is a huge one that I use um, when my clients use like struggling or hard or tough or difficult we always have like there's a thing that they got to do in the program where okay if you said that you got to go do this right now so their brain like associates with with that but we we always change it to is challenging because people sign up for challenges all the time right we sign up for spartan races or a challenge at the gym or a challenge at work you sign up for challenges and we can overcome challenges right. but you don't sign up for a struggle like <laughs> Like you're going to sign up for a struggle today. It's like being in the middle of the ocean with waves coming in and you're fighting for your life. But if you reframe it to challenge, okay, this is just a challenge right now. And I can get through this. That's a huge, huge way to move forward. Beautiful. And when it comes to, um, you know, like the, the, the process that you use for NLP, um, I've, I've studied NLP. I'm certified as well. And do you feel that this has worked better than other approaches that you've used in the past? before you were certified master, or it was because of NLP that you find that your program is more successful? 
I think it's that I, I think it's a, a multitude of things, but um, I, I have actually considered doing my program as like an evergreen course where people can download it. And there are certain neuro-linguistic programming techniques. Like part of me doesn't want to release it because I'm like, I know that you're going to have breakthroughs, but you're not going to have that big of a breakthrough without the one-on-one neuro-linguistic programming support. Um, so I, I do think that NLP is one of the biggest things that that changes people's lives. It's a, one of the biggest things that changed my life with my coach, but it's not like, Oh, you go in for one session and it's done. It's you go in, you get the tool and now it's up to you to practice that tool all throughout the day. Like that, like all, that's your new habit. That's all that you're doing all throughout the day. And from personal experience, I, one of the, one of the tools that I'm, I'm thinking about my coach gave to me, that was the very first thing I ever did. And I was so focused on it for 30, for 30 days that I literally could not believe how different I felt inside and how different people were responding to me around me. Wow. And do you find that um, your technique that you use are rendering the result after the four month program or those results like common among everyone that you help or some people need more time and others can actually be acquired uh, those skills before the four months usually by week five or six most of my clients I'm like who are you <laughs> you're a completely different person than five weeks ago I people have been in therapy for 25 years and after five weeks they're like I never knew that I could feel this good I did not know that this was possible mm -hmm. um so most most start to see changes around week five or six um everybody I can literally say everybody that has ever gone through my program is some of a different themselves by the end. And, and then because we've been working on the subconscious, I constantly am getting messages two years, three years, four years later. Oh my God, this thing is even like, you know, has taken me to this place and I understand this thing even more. And now it's helped me in this relationship. It's just an on, ongoing thing. It's beautiful. Um, how can our listeners find you, Jackie? Yeah, you can find me at my website or Instagram. Instagram is Jackie underscore Pew, J-A-C-Q-U-I underscore P-U-G-H. And then my website is JackiePew.com. So you can apply. The program is called Burn. You can apply on my website or I'm, Instagram is a place that I hang out. So you could always send me a DM there uh, and we can chat and, and see what you got going on. Excellent. Well, Jackie, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us and sharing your extensive knowledge in the field of dating and relationship. Now, the many recommendations you share to our loyal listeners will help them better navigate through these choppy waters. Now, we hope that you all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming industry experts that we have scheduled for season three of the Love and Dating Group with Dr. Ben podcast, filled with very valuable tips and advice just like the one that you listen to today. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all stay safe, sane, and smart when searching for that special someone. Stay tuned for our next episode.